Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to the campus. Those of you who are here, thank you for being here. I'm so happy for all of our staff and volunteers who make sure the place is clean and safe so that you can feel comfortable being back here. I really appreciate it. Would you give them a big hand for all the hard work they do each week? And we're so proud of them. And I know all of you ladies enjoyed the Women's Gala. That was a wonderful, wonderful event. Pastor Mary and her team did a fabulous job with that. Let's give them a big hand. That was a great event as well, wasn't it? I'm glad you're here. We're in a series called Expect the Unexpected. And after the year we've had, we just felt like that's probably a pretty good title. And, uh, but when you look at the Christmas story, it really is true. It is filled with unexpected events, unexpected moments. I mean, Mary and Joseph had their life pretty much mapped out and all of a sudden an angel appears, totally unexpected, and it changed their world. And consequently, it changed our world. And so it's not just this season is filled with sometimes unexpected events, but our lives are filled with those as well. And what we've been talking about in this series is how when the unexpected hits your life, what you can know is that God has a plan. He has a purpose. He does all things well, his disciple says. He does everything with purpose and for purpose and on purpose. You're not an accident, you're an incident. He knows where you are, he knows what you're going through, and he has a perfect plan. Even though we may not understand it or agree with it, God is working in and through our lives to the point that I don't think it's an accident you're watching. I don't think it's an accident you're in this room. I think the providence of God brought you here for this moment so you could hear something significant that might help you on your journey through this life. Now we've been talking about in this unexpected series how we need to protect our hearts because unexpected events that hit our life sometimes can affect how we see things. And it's so important that we understand you and I don't always see things as they are as much as we see them as we are. So we have to have a good perspective, a good perception of the things that we go through uh, in life. And so a lot of that has to do with our heart. And so this is a heart series. I, I wanna make sure that your heart is healthy through the holidays. And last weekend, I, I talked about how to have joy in a stressful heart. This is a stressful holiday. We really dealt with that last week. It's the only holiday with a countdown, just to add to the stress. And so stress is a common factor that people deal with during this time. But this weekend, I wanna take the next step and I wanna talk about how to have peace in a troubled heart. Now, just as you and I have stress in our lives and not all stress is bad as we talked about, you need a little stress on the string or you don't make music. So you gotta have some stress in your life. But the point is uh, you, you, you have to have some sense of balance or the string can snap. Uh, the music of your life is shrill and your temper is short and you're hard on people. Uh, so stress is not bad, but you gotta learn how to balance the stress in order to have a joyful heart. And this weekend, uh, trouble is going to be uh, uh, an inevitable, inescapable reality of everyone's life. It just is. Uh, whether you know God or you don't know God, whether you feel like you're close to God or you feel distant from him, it doesn't matter. You're gonna have trouble. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. 
Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people. You know, it just is what it is. You don't go through life unscathed. Jesus himself said, it is not possible to live life without offense. You're gonna be offended. Somebody's gonna offend you. You're gonna offend someone. You, you just can't function in life without offense. And, and nor can you or I function in life without trouble. Job is probably the oldest book of the Bible. And in Job 14, one, the Bible says, man who's born of woman is of a few days, talks about the brevity of life, life is a few days. And then he said, those few days are full of trouble. So our lives are full of trouble. You have trouble probably going on in some area of your life right now. Uh, there's probably some event, some stress, some trouble that's hitting your life. And so I wanna talk about with the trouble you and I face, how do we navigate that with a peaceful heart? How do we keep our heart from being troubled? And how do we have in this season, how do we have real, genuine, lasting peace? I read an interesting survey that was done among thousands of Americans, and they were asked, what do you want most out of life? What is the thing you desire most of life? And the analysts that looked at the data were really surprised with the responses because they thought they would get more materialistic responses. You know, more money, a better house, you know, better job, career opportunities. Instead, the top three responses of the people when asked, what do you want most uh, in your life right now? They said, love. I wanna love, I wanna feel love, I wanna feel unconditional love, I, know what, I wanna know what it's like to feel love. Second response was happiness. I wanna be happy. I'm tired of being sad, I'm tired of being down, so I, I really desire happiness. And you know what the third one was? Peace. I just want peace. I want peace in my home, I want peace in my heart, I want peace, I, I'm tired of fighting, I'm tired of everything being so hard, and I just want peace. So it was, the, it was number three of the top responses of people when asked, what do you want most in life? And I'm sure if we surveyed the room this morning and those of you watching online, we wouldn't be far off to say that one of the great desires of your life at this season is peace. Where there's a way whereby you really can have peace. I mean, there's a way whereby your heart can go from being troubled to being peaceful. I mean, I talked about the Christmas story. You look in Luke 1, verse 29, the Bible says when the angel appeared to Mary, her heart was troubled. She was troubled at what he told her. All of a sudden, this unexpected event hit her life, and the result of that was her heart was troubled. Sometimes you get news that you're not expecting, and sometimes you face with your situation that you weren't inspecting or anticipating, and your heart is troubled. Suddenly, your heart is confused, and suddenly your heart can be in despair because of the issue that you're facing. But if you read on in chapter one of the Christmas story, when you get down toward uh, the end of that exchange with the angel, Mary finally, the Bible says, has peace. She says, let it be unto me according to your word. What she was saying is, God, I trust you. I trust you. And so if this is what you have, if this is the purpose of my life, I'll go with it, I'll, I'll, I'll trust you. So my point is, it is possible to go from a troubled heart to a peaceful heart. Mary taught us that in the Christmas story. And then Jesus taught us that when he met with his disciples in the upper room. To give you the context of that exchange, uh, they were finally wrapping their heads around the fact that he was in fact gonna go to a cross and he was going to die. Now, he had been telling them that all along, but they hadn't really received it. It, it didn't get real before then. Because I think in some of their minds, they thought, well, Jesus is coming, the Messiah is here, this is the one, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so I think in their minds, they thought, probably what he's going to do is overthrow the oppressive Roman government. 
He now is going to establish his kingdom on the earth. And they kind of missed, mixed up their theology. They obviously had read Isaiah 9, 6, that birth announcement that was out actually 740 years before Jesus was born. That's getting them out early, ladies. And in that birth announcement, they said, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then it says, the government shall be on his shoulders. So they had to say, well, yeah, this is Jesus coming. He's all these things. He's wonderful counselor, mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He's a prince of peace. And we can't wait for the government to be on his shoulders. And now Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to go to the cross. And they mixed up his first coming with his second coming. You see, the first coming of Jesus into the world was not to rule and reign. The first coming of Jesus into the world was to suffer and die. Now, you and I are looking forward to the second coming of Jesus where he will rule and reign. One day the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord and the government shall be on his shoulders for a thousand years during a millennial reign here on the earth. That's something that's going to happen. The Bible says in Isaiah 9, 6, the zeal of the Lord will perform it. God's gonna bring it to pass. As sure as you're living, he'll bring it to pass. So the point is their hearts were troubled because Jesus was going to die. He was going to a cross and they had to think, well, what's gonna happen to me? What about my life? I mean, I've given up a career to follow after him and now he's dying. What, what's going to become of us? I mean, are they gonna come after us next? I mean, their hearts were troubled and what's incredible in John 14 that I don't want you to miss is Jesus knew their hearts. You know, it's easy for you to fool me and I can fool you and all God's children can fool each other, but we can't fool God. In fact, David said on one occasion, uh, man looks at the outward <laughs> while God looks at the heart. God knows the condition of your heart. You all look pretty peaceful this morning. <laughs> you all seem real happy like you got the, you know, like, like the world, you got everything in your world under control. And, and you see, I don't know the condition of your heart, but there's a God in heaven that knows you and loves you better than you know you and loves you better than you love you. And he knows your heart. And so he's looking at those guys around the table and he says to them, John 14, one, let not your hearts be troubled. I know the condition of your heart. Don't let your heart be troubled. And here's what he said. You believe in God, believe also in me. Literally in the Greek, he says, you've been believing in God, keep believing in me. Don't let this stop you. The God that brought you from where you've been to where you are is the God can, that can take you from where you are to where you're going. You've believed in him this far, Keep, don't quit now. Don't give up and don't give in and don't give out. Yes, this is a new circumstance and no, you haven't been here before, but yes, God knows what he's doing. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let the problems around you get inside of you. And then he goes down, if you'll read down in the latter part, verse 27, he said, peace, I leave with you. He said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not, the second time, let not your heart be troubled and neither let it be afraid. And Jesus, first of all, gives them what I'm calling the promise of peace. The promise of peace. He said, look, I know your hearts are troubled. I know you've allowed the circumstances that you're dealing with and the stuff that's going on in your life, I know you've allowed what's going on out there to get in here. And now it's affecting your peace, your peace of mind. It's affecting you emotionally. It's even affecting the decisions you make. 
Because when your heart is confused, some of the direction that your life takes can be confusing as well. And so a troubled heart, a troubled heart is something that will lead you to make bad decisions and to feel the wrong type of emotions and to think the wrong way about the things you're going through in your life. So Jesus comes on the scene and he's promising peace. Now understand, in that day, if you were a Jewish person, uh, a, a, a salutation that you would frequently give or receive would be peace. Shalom. It'd be, uh, like us saying hello or goodbye. It was a common greeting. You'd enter a room and shalom, you'd peace. And when you left, you'd say peace, <laughs> shalom. But this was more than that. This wasn't just Jesus saying, fellas, don't let your hearts be troubled. Uh, peace, good luck, <laughs> hope you're fine. He's saying, look, this is peace that I'm promising you. And then he, he, he narrows it down and talks about what kind of peace this is. He said, this is my peace. This is the peace that I have. And don't you know that in the years that they had walked with Jesus and they had saw him do all the things that he'd done, they saw the pressure he was under, they saw the persecution that followed after him, they saw the betrayals that he endured, and yet one of the things that they had to remark about Jesus was the fact how centered he was, how balanced his life was. In fact, as I said a moment ago, when they looked at him, there's a verse where they, says, they said concerning Jesus, he does all things well. Jesus is full of peace. He just does things well. He, he, he says the right thing. He, he, he reacts the right way. And they had to be amazed at how balanced and centered his life was with all the things that he had gone through. And probably if we were to ask one of those disciples, what do you think was it about Jesus that kept him so balanced and so centered? And they probably would have said, it's the relationship he has with his father and it's the peace that that relationship brings. Now don't miss that when I tell you the promise that he's making here is his peace. See, you and I try to go through life and we try to muster up our own peace and it doesn't go very far and it doesn't last very long. You can be very peaceful in here, but if you're just living off of your peace, you get on 35 and somebody doesn't let you on the freeway. Oh. Uh, or somebody cuts you off. Or you get to the four-way, don't you hate the four-ways? And you're like, okay, she's second, he's first, I'm, I'm third. And you go, and then they jump. You go, you, so you use the kind of the bumper of your car to go, hey, 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 hey. You know, they cut, you cut, you, you went ahead of me. And I don't know why we let little things like that get us all up to, oh, we do. Or for the love of God, can we figure out how to drive through the roundabouts? Is that, a, <laughs> is that too much to ask? This side of heaven, I digress. And I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you're living off of your peace, it's not gonna last long. Jesus said it can't go through life and not be offended. Somebody is gonna offend you, cut you off. Somebody's gonna pull something out of you, not real sanctified, send you. And I'm just saying, that's not the peace he's promising. He's saying, you can have my peace. You can have a peace that passes all understanding. This peace is I'm gonna bring in your life is something that I promise that you can have. Listen, it's not peace uh, that comes with a cessation of war. Now, when you think of peace, usually you think the war is over, we're at peace. Well, that's, that's a type of peace, but that's not the kind of peace he's talking about. The kind of peace he's promising here, listen, is peace in the midst of a war. He's talking about peace 
Not peace when the storm is over and the waves uh, have ceased and the ocean is like glass and, and it's smooth sailing. No, he's talking about peace in the middle of a storm. He's promising these guys something and listen, it's not tied to their circumstance. You know why? Because nothing in their circumstance was going to change. He was still going to the cross and when you follow the trajectory of their lives, though very blessed and very impactful, those guys would all, with the exception of one, die martyrs' deaths. So he wasn't saying here that all your circumstances are gonna change, it's gonna be you know, uh, rainbows and unicorns for the rest of your life. You're just gonna skippity-doo-dah right into heaven. If that's possible, I don't know what that is. What he was saying is nothing in your life may change, it might even get worse before it gets better. But what I can give you is what you need to get through what you're about to go through or what you're going through, and that's peace. I can help you keep the bubble in the middle. I can help keep your life centered. I can help you have peace. So it's a promise that's not connected to circumstances. Have you noticed in your prayer life I have in mind, I've noticed that I pray more about my circumstances than me sometimes? Oh God, change this, fix this, do that. Instead of God, change me, fix me, help you, you know? But you know what I believe? Sometimes God uses circumstances to change us. So we're praying about the wrong thing. I'm not saying it's wrong not to pray about your circumstances. I'm saying when the focus of your prayer is on your circumstances and not on how it's affecting you, I think we miss the point. Jesus didn't die for our circumstances. He died for us. Now, he uses circumstances to shape us, mold us, form us, make us. I've talked about when the refiner, when he goes after the mineral, he's going after gold. The first thing he does, he pulls it out of the mountain. Second part of the process is he's got to get the mountain out of the mineral. And to get the mountain out of the mineral, it has to be crushed and it has to be refined. And I'm saying, like you and I, sometimes God has to pull us out of a system that doesn't care about him, and then he's got to get the system that doesn't care about him out of us, and that sometimes takes crushing and refining. So the promise of peace is not tied to my circumstance. It's tied, secondly, to the presence of peace. Number two, he said, it's my peace. It's his presence. Remember, he said, you believe in God, Believe also in me. He, he ties the idea of peace to our faith. He ties the idea of peace to his presence. Remember the birth announcement of Isaiah 9, 6. One of the things that Jesus, the Bible says that he would be is the prince of peace. Listen, you can't have lasting peace if you're not connected to the prince of peace. Because he's the one that's going to bring peace to your heart in the midst of your circumstances. Listen, you can have an untroubled heart with a troubled life. You can have an untroubled heart with a troubled life because he has promised it through his presence. When we have Jesus Christ living within our heart, when we know him as our savior, we have the prince of peace living within us. Listen to Romans 5, verse 1. Having been justified by faith. Now that phrase sounds a little Christianese, so let me explain it. Being justified by faith means having received Jesus as Savior. Justification comes about as a byproduct of receiving him as Savior. Justification is the act of God whereby he makes us just as if we had never sinned. 
were forgiven fully. Uh, a Sunday school teacher told me, just as if I justified, just as if, I remember hearing that as a kid, just as if I'd never sinned. Well, the Bible says he's justified us by faith. Notice it now, Romans 5, 1. Because of that, we have peace with God. How do we have this? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where does peace come from? My relationship with Christ. Listen to Colossians 1.20. By Jesus, who will reconcile all things to himself, listen to this, having made peace. How do we have peace? Through the blood of his cross. The nature of God is described in Romans 15, nine. You know what his nature is? He's the God of peace. The God of peace. Listen again, let me emphasize this. Peace is not the absence of struggle. Peace is the presence of the Savior. It's not the absence of struggle. It, it doesn't mean that I walked in this room with burdens and I walked into this room with problems and Bill got up there and sprinkled some pastor dust on me and I'm gonna walk out of this room with no problems in my life. Let me tell you something. I hope you walk out of here better than you came in here. I really do. But there's a chance that if you walked in here and your bank account was a little tight, it may still be tight. If you walked in here and you were having a little debate with a mate, chances are you may pick that puppy up where you left that thing off. If the kids are running you crazy, they're probably still gonna run you crazy. I wish I could tell you, come here and we can just get that pasture dust out there and boy, you're gonna be you know, fixed. It's just, this doesn't work that way. Now, I know sometimes God can, and sometimes he does incredible things, and we, it blows our hat in the creek, and we call those incredible things miracles because we don't have a better word to describe it. A miracle is something that we're admitting we could not do, only God could do, and he does those things. I believe in those things. But I'm just saying your faith needs to be big enough and strong enough that can withstand if he doesn't do those things, right? Three Hebrew children, remember, facing the fire? Daniel 3, they said, we're not gonna bow, we're not gonna bend. God can keep us from going into the fire. And then they said this, but if he doesn't, we still won't. Listen, your faith has to be big enough to have room for if God doesn't. I told you before, the great measure of your faith is not do I have enough faith to be healed. The bigger measurement of your faith is do you have enough faith not to be healed? What if God tells you no? He's told me no. Second Corinthians 12, he told Paul no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. All I'm saying to your heart this morning is keep yourself kind of balanced. Understand God may and understand he may not. But in the middle of whatever he decides to do, know his plan for you is not to harm you, but it's to bring you a better outcome. And know that God's presence is able to bring you peace. Let me give you the third thought. It's what I'm calling the protection of peace. Now it's one thing again to get peace about your circumstance in this room, this holy huddle and watching at home or wherever you are. But it's another thing to keep that peace, to hold on to that peace. How do you protect that peace? How do I maintain this peace? How do I keep it? Well, understand what he says. Listen to Isaiah 26, three. Understand, he says, God will keep him in perfect peace. Now, back to a promise. This is a promise. It's a promise through his presence, and the promise through his presence is to protect the peace. God will keep them in perfect peace, but wait a minute, there's a caveat. 
What's the caveat? Keep reading, Isaiah 26, three. Whose mind, what is the mind? Mind, will, and motion is the heart. Whose heart is fixed, stayed on you. How does that happen? Because they trust you. You get that? He's saying the way you protect the peace is you fix your heart on God. And you can fix your heart on God because you trust him. You're not gonna trust somebody you don't know. You're not gonna trust someone you don't love. And when somebody violates your trust, it takes a long time to rebuild that trust. And I know of relationships where they, never, they were never able to resolve it. They were never ever, ever able to rebuild the trust because they didn't do the things that were necessary to rebuild trust. You don't get trust automatically. Somebody burns you, betrays you, violates you in some way. Just because they say sorry doesn't mean you're automatically gonna trust them. It's a process. You gotta earn that back, sport. It may take time and a lot of work. And if you love the person and you're committed to them, you'll take the time and you'll put the work in to rebuild the trust. But don't expect it to come back overnight and automatic. But you know why I trust God? Because he's never violated and he's never abused and he's never betrayed me. He's faithful. He does all things well even the things that I don't understand and the things that I can't comprehend and the things that I may not even agree with, here's what I know about him. I know he's trustworthy. I, I know he loves me more than I love me. I would, may not die for me, he did. He can be trusted. And let me tell you something, he's the friend that will come into your life if every other friend has walked out of your life. He has earned the right for you to trust him. Not understand him but to trust him. And there's a, there's a connection between me trusting him and keeping my focus on him and him keeping my peace. Some people don't have peace because they don't trust him. Some people don't have peace because they don't focus, they're, they're not fixed on him, whose heart, Isaiah said, their heart is fixed on him. You remember the famous story of uh, Simon Peter walking on water? And no, it's not because he knew where the rocks were. It was a genuine miracle. I've heard that one too. Jesus came to the disciples in the middle of the storm walking on the water. Simon says, if it's, you, if it's really you, Lord, bid me to come to you on the water. And he says, come on. And Simon Peter gets out of the boat and the Bible says he began to walk to Jesus on the water. But if you remember the story, the Bible says Simon Peter successfully walked on the water until he did this. He took his eyes off of Jesus and he put his eyes on the waves. And that moment, the Bible said, he began to sink. And Simon Peter prayed one of the shortest prayers in the Bible. <laughs> Lord, save me. He didn't have time to pray any longer. I mean, Lord, save me. And the Bible said immediately, the Lord reached out his hand and he saved Simon Peter. What's the point? The point is his heart was fixed on Jesus for a period of time, and for the period of time his heart was fixed on Jesus. In the middle of the storm, he had peace, and he did the impossible. He was walking on the water. He was walking over the thing that was trying to pull him under. He was walking above the thing that was trying to bring him down. How was he doing it? Because he had fixed his heart on Jesus. How long did it last? until he quit fixing his heart on Jesus. 
And the minute he took his eyes off of Jesus and he put his eyes on his circumstances, he began to sink. Peace was gone. Panic ensues. Heart is troubled. Lord, save me. And he did. But what's the principle? The principle is, friend, right now, the storms can be raging all around you and you can stay above the thing that's trying to pull you down if you will fix your heart on him. And when you do that, he has promised you his peace. What does Galatians 5 tell us? It tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, temperance, long-suffering, peace. Listen, it's not the fruit of the believer. The fruit of the believer is in John 15. The fruit of the believer is another believer. It's when we replicate, duplicate ourselves. It's when I share my faith with someone, I share a service with someone, I invite someone, and I find out later that person connected with God through my influence. Well, the Bible says that's fruit abounding to my account. That's God saying to me, you go, way to go, good job. I'm gonna give you credit. I wanna reward you for connecting me with your friend that didn't know me. That's the fruit of a believer. John 15 is another believer. That's not what this is. Peace is not, this peace is not the fruit of the believer. It's not something I generate. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the byproduct of a partnership with God. That's why he said in Ephesians, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Remember, I've told you before, the way that you keep from doing the thing you shouldn't do is just to do the thing you should do. You can't do what you shouldn't do if you're doing what you should do. And people who start doing what they shouldn't do are people who were not doing what they should have done. So if you wanna stay out of trouble, do what you should do. If you do what you should do, you can't do what you shouldn't do. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And as a result, he'll give you peace. But the peace is connected to the, to the commitment that I've made to fix my heart on him. One more and we'll go. Philippians chapter four. Verse seven, Paul talked about peace. Not only did he find joy in his circumstance, or regardless of circumstance, he found peace. Verse seven, here's what he said. He said, I found the, the, the peace of God to guard me. Now he was being guarded by that praetorian guard. Paul was being guarded day and night by these guys. And he said, that's the peace of God. God's peace is right beside me and God's peace is right with me and God's peace, God's peace is guarding. It's like he's got, this, he's got this perimeter around me and nothing can get to me because his peace is there to guard me. And then down in verse nine, he says, not only do you have the peace of God to guard you, but verse nine, he says, you have the God of peace to guide you. God's peace will guide you. That means you make decisions from a place of peace. Peace. Let me give this to you. I found in my life, and I think this is a biblical principle that I could absolute support scripturally, that the devil will pressure you to make decisions and God will lead you. The devil pressures and God leads. If you're feeling pressure this morning to make a decision, if you're feeling pushed to make the decision, you're probably gonna make a bad decision. Devil will push you, pressure you, do something even if it's wrong, some of the stupidest advice I've ever heard. How can, any, how can a decision that you know is wrong end up being the right thing? Like the guy that said, I keep beating my head against the wall because it feels so good when I stop. 
The point I'm making this morning is when you are pressured to make a decision, you're probably going to make the wrong one. So what do you do? You rely on his peace. God will lead you while the devil will push you. So rely on his peace. Can I tell you, sometimes the best decision you can make in your life is no decision. Is I'm not ready to make a decision. And if the person can't be okay with that, then that's not your problem. <laughs> if the situation can't allow for that, that's not your problem. It's not on you. What I would say to your heart is, if you're praying about it and you're pressed into God and you're focused on him, you wait until you have peace about the decision you need to make. Let me give this to you. Adrian Rogers was a, a friend, a mentor, a pastor. He's been in heaven a long time now, but he really helped me a lot in a season of my life. I would pick his brain, seek his counsel, pastor the great Bellevue Church there in Memphis. And I remember on one occasion, I needed to make a decision and I, I knew what I needed to do, but I didn't know when I needed to do it. I was feeling some pressure. So I called him up and I kind of sought his counsel and I said, look, I, I, I know what I need to do. I just don't know when I need to do it. I'm not at peace about when I need to do this. And he said, well, are you, are you praying about it? I said, yes, sir, I am. I pray about all the time. It's on my mind all the time. He said, well, that's good. He goes, as far as I can tell, you're doing everything you need to do to find peace about the decision. So here's what I would tell you. And so I'm ready. I have a pen out. I have a pad. I'm ready to write down this deep, profound thing that Adrian's about to share with me. You know what he said? He said, let me tell you something. You will know. I, thought, Is that, I don't know what. I don't know. What, what, do you, what do you, he said, you'll know. And I said, is that, I mean, no disrespect, but is that it? <laughs> he goes, that's it, you'll know. He said, we, you, when that time comes, you'll know. And so I hung the phone up and I thought, wow, he's a lot smarter than me, but I'll know? What's that even mean? And so I kept doing what I knew to do. I kept pressing into God, I kept praying about it. And you know what, one day I woke up and I knew. <laughs> it's time to do it. This is the time. He was right. You know what God gave me with that decision? Peace. Peace. Hard decision? Sure. Tough decision? Yeah. Scary decision? <laughs> yeah. But peace. What am I saying? I'm saying in a troubled world with a troubled life, God can give you peace. He can give you peace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. As Isaiah said, that never returns void, that always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. I pray for my friends in the room and those watching online who may be dealing with some very troublesome times. Father, help them to know that they can have an untroubled heart even with a troubled life. And the secret is your peace. You promised it. You provide it through that relationship with your son and you protect it as our hearts stay focused on you. So Lord, I pray for anyone in the room or anyone watching who's never trusted you as savior. They've never invited the Prince of Peace into their life. May this be that moment. May this be that time where they swallow their pride and right where they are, they say, Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, give me peace. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.